0: Welcome to Right Course with Dan Barry, conservative commentary on politics, policy, and the news from the Southern Piedmont of North Carolina through the Raleigh State House into the nation's capital. To learn more about us, search the web at Right Course with Dan Barry, and let us know your thoughts. We look forward to hearing from you. I'm your host, Dan Barry. Welcome back to Episode 5 of Right Course with Dan Barry. Thank you for joining us. I've been away for a couple of weeks dealing with some family stuff and upgrading my technology. i warn you, if you're over 25, changing laptops is a real challenge. Uh, so we uh, spent some time and, and a little bit of money getting some external drives and cleaning this up and we're in good shape, and I'm glad to be back. Remember, we uh, talked about last time that, that with each of the year's of history would correlate to our episode. So we're on episode five, which takes us to uh, 1781, which is a big year in American history. For those of you who are students of it like I am, that's the year we won the revolution. But let's take a look at a little bit about what was going on. Probably one of the more significant things was a precursor to the Constitution. The Articles of Confederation were passed and ratified ultimately by the 13th state which was Maryland. It was a weak document. It didn't provide for a lot of governance opportunities. It was the first brush of federalism, later to be replaced by the Constitution because we needed a single currency and the ability for the federal government to negotiate and create treaties with foreign powers, regulate interstate commerce, etc. But it was the first of the American experience. And it's fascinating, so there's some great books out there on it. I'll try to bring one up next time, and we can talk about it. As we drew close to the end of the Revolutionary War, there were some interesting battles for many of us here in North Carolina. Probably the most significant is the Battle of Guilford Courthouse. If you hadn't been to Greensboro and taken a Saturday to go to the battleground, you should do that. Cornwallis defeated the American forces, but under extraordinary uh, losses. As he pulled away from Greensboro or Guilford County, uh, moving towards Norfolk and on to Yorktown, um, it was an opportunity for him to rebuild and reorganize the British Army. A little bit further on, we had um, just some unique stuff as we prepared for the Battle of Yorktown, And Washington moving down from the north, Cornwallis coming up from the south, and the British and the patriots of the Revolutionary War finally collapsed on Yorktown. George Washington himself was at the battle. In the middle of the battle, a fleet of French ships, 24 gunners, showed up into the Chesapeake. At the same time, the battle began... With the British Army as we were pushing them back into the Chesapeake. 9,000 American and 7,000 French troops, remember Rochambeau, began the siege of Yorktown against the British Army. Ultimately, General Cornwallis was forced to sign the terms of surrender to George Washington. In his presence was Rochambeau. All at Yorktown at 2 p.m. On October the 19th, thus ending the war with Great Britain and beginning the American experience. What a fantastic time in American history and as I mentioned in our last episode and want to remind people again, it was the French that came to support the Americans as we this rabble of unorganized military uh, state armies came together to defeat the greatest army in the world uh, at the Battle of Yorktown in 1781. Take some time and, and know your history. As we as we close off in the convention season, the Democrats and the Republicans have just concluded their conventions. The Democrats a week ago, um, a Zoom call of extraordinaire, doom and gloom, flat and dark. Rather than focusing on the success of the American experience and all that America has meant to the folks that live here and quote that shining city on a hill, their theme was more doom and gloom only to be followed by the Republicans, which was um, to steal a phrase from Reagan, morning again in America. I thought it was interesting, as I watched the two conventions, that the Democrats relied on celebrity, very powerful, high-profile elected officials with, with national and international reputations, movie stars and actors, The Republicans, however, reached deep into the party, finding relatively unknown elected officials. But more importantly, they found members of our communities that have realized extraordinary success, either in charity and business and family. By using resources or opportunities created by Republican or conservative ideals. It's not lost on me that for the first time in a long, long time that I can remember, the Republican convention was dominated in presentation, in communication, and in form by women and minorities, and how refreshing that was. I can call out each speech. I could call out each participant. But we saw from the youth movement in Madison Cawthorn, who's running for Congress in the mountains, to the next wave of Republican leaders that will run for president, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, and others, to business owners and manufacturers that were struggling in competition to China and the president and Republican ideals improve their position to companies recovering from COVID with PPE and the PPP loan program. But wrapped in all of that were two really special-to-me presentations. The first was the nun. I don't remember her name off the top of my head. A bird colonel in the Army came back Is a physician in a nunnery. And there was a line in her speech that will ring in my ears for a long time. And she said, not only am I, and I quote, not only am I pro-life, I am pro-eternal life. And man, it hit me right between the eyes. And she, there she is on the stage, the national stage, global stage, in a habit. Meek and mild like only a nun. And just laid it out there. It was fantastic. The other one that I think is really, really important for those of us from around the world, and particularly in North Carolina, was to see our friend Clarence Henderson, a real treasure, to be on the main platform, recorded in advance, but there to talk about his experience in the civil Rights movement. If you don't know Clarence, find him. If you have an opportunity to hear him or see him, take advantage of that opportunity. I hope to try and get him on one of the Hornet's Nest Republican Men's Club Zoom calls because he is that good. If you don't know his story, Google it. He was a civil rights activist who was a member of the group that sat in at the Woolworths counter in Greensboro. He's a preacher now, probably retired, but he's very, very involved in Republican uh, politics, and in, and continues in the civil rights movement. And he reminded the audiences that it was Republicans that beat down Jim Crow, that it was Republicans that uh, ended slavery. It was Republicans that granted them citizenship. It was Republicans that gave black men the right to vote. It was Republicans that then provided women's suffrage. Clarence is a treasure. He will, um, he's just a tremendous guy, and hopefully you will have an opportunity to get to know him, and I'll bring him to to our area um, when the opportunity presents itself, assuming the governor will let us ever get out. Speaking of the governor, schools are open. I was at a luncheon on Thursday, and we do a round robin every day and talk about kind of the the static uh, statistics and who's going to win and who's going to do what, and I was asked what the Republican, or what my opinion was on Trump victory, and I said Trump wins. I actually think Trump wins big. And there are two big issues that are boiling up right now, no pun intended. The first is violence. And we're seeing and have seen in Democratic-controlled states and cities, Minneapolis, Wisconsin, Portland, Seattle, a little bit in Charlotte, Washington, D.C., not just um, a petitioning of the government, but a riot, burning of of buildings and cars, confrontations with civil authority. At the end of the day, when you boil back the, the theories behind the creation of our governments, at its fundamental essence is the preservation of social order, order, and that we... Uh, maintain not peace, because peaceful demonstration is for a purpose, but that we are not um, forfeiting our rights of liberty or property in the process. I do think there are grievances that need to be heard. I do believe that there are some challenges that, that we must step up and address, but this is the wrong way about getting your argument heard. But it's not lost on me that it's in these Democratic cities. What's really interesting is yesterday to see Biden finally come out and call them down. But now that these riots, um, and and I'm using the wrong phrase, disturbances have have started and been unleashed into these communities with some support from the Democrats. It's going to be interesting to see how they pull that back. I'm not sure that with the legitimacy they've provided over the last six or eight weeks, that they can put the genie back in the bottle. It is It, it potentially requires governors to uh, empower the president to send the National Guard or to allow the governors to call in the National Guard. It's going to be really, really interesting to watch what happens. So that's point one. Point two is school. I've said since the summer that the election for governor in North Carolina, and potentially election in many of our governors, races, and the president could hinge on the outcome of virtual education. you got to remember that families are tired. They've had their children at home since March. they are struggled to educate them with virtual education through the spring. It was a failure. And now they're doing it again. And dual-income households or single-parent households are really struggling with how to manage all of their responsibilities, and now you lay on educating your children. Homeschooling is exploding. Charter schools have waiting lists, and yet we continue to pay taxes to educate our children, and they're doing so on a computer. What was fascinating to me when, on opening day is that the systems went down. They've had six months to put a virtual experience together. And yet on the opening day of school at 8:30 when millions of children are logging into their various virtual classroom experiences the system crashed. It could have been as simple as calling Cisco or IBM or Google and saying, "We're going to have all these people log in at the exact same time. We need to make sure our systems work." But no, they don't work. My hat is off to educators, to parents that are dealing with this, helping their children. But let's not forget the teachers in the classroom, because they too are dealing with this new paradigm, and it's challenging. You know when your kids are in school and you're frustrated with a teacher, you immediately go to the principal. And you have a conversation with the principal and you deal with those issues. Well, Facebook and Twitter And instant messages and and text messages have allowed you to have instant interaction with your contemporaries and perhaps say some things in a way that you would not normally do it because you're doing it in a digital fashion. Imagine now, parents are watching their children be educated and the chat box is open and they start firing away at teachers. It's unfair. And we need to remember that, respect that. So when you're with an educator this week, whether you agree with them politically or philosophically or not, thank you. Take your time to thank them for being in the classroom because they too are challenged. Now, all that being said, North Carolina Association of Educators um, is, is out in left field and trying to hold us hostage, trying to hold us hostage over political items that have nothing to do with educating children cornerstone of their current political action is expansion of Medicare and Medicaid. It's got nothing to do with educating children. They've defeated a motion at their national convention to say that their existence was educating children because they're trying to broaden the influence they have in policy making in General Assemblies. Unfortunate. They're holding our families and our children hostage. over some some policy decisions have nothing to do with educating children. I look forward to the day that schools are open and children are back in their classrooms. Teachers are teaching. Parents are running PTAs. We have high school football on Friday night. I look forward to it. Well, we're wrapping up today, and I'm reminded that Labor Day is right around the corner. And what does that mean? It's one of my favorite days of the year, opening day of dove season. I'm looking forward to it. The corn's not very high, it was planted late, but we'll just see how many birds are out there. And I know I'll talk to you between now and then. Thanks for taking a few minutes to listen. Make it a great week. Thank you for joining us. Please subscribe to our podcast through your provider and invite your friends to join us. Of course, look us up on the web at Right Course with Dan Barry, where we have additional content, blogs, and other items for you. We look forward to seeing you again and make it a great week.